I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Old Lady Speaks podcast on black and white and red all over. This is your host, Danny, coming to you for episode number 21, the Benedict Hobbitus episode. What you <laughs> thought I was going to go Zinedine Zidane or Andrea Pirlo? Come on. Paulo Dybala? Come on now. Obviously, we've got a whole lot to talk about and Juventus didn't even play a game this weekend. So let me first bring in the usual trio of Sam Lepresti. Hello, Sam. How's it going today, Danny? I am tired. Bring in Chucks. <laughs> Hello, Chucks. Oh, <laughs> do you not take a nap before this? Or something? <laughs> Come on, you've been following Juventus the last couple of days. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and by the way, I believe it's Benedict Huvidis. Uh, I, I knew if there was going to be somebody to correct me, it would have been Chucks. <laughs> no, I just like his name. It's, so, it's just catchy. <laughs> He's got the umlauts, right? I believe so. Anyway. Last but not least, Sergio Romero. Hello, Sergio. Hey, fellas. How's it going? Just what a name there. I completely forgot about that guy. Completely, completely forgot about him. He played like what, like three games in the whole season? It Maybe. felt, it like, felt like about three games. And then I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Juventus faced him that next season in the Champions League. Yeah, with Moscow. That is correct. I, yes. I love that Moscow team, by the way. It was a real who's who of remember <laughs> that guy. Like, it was just a, an entire team filled with, like, remember that guy's guys. A lot of random loan deals on that, on that roster in Moscow. I can, I can say that. So, 
as I mentioned, Juventus, a very interesting weekend, and they didn't even play. They showed up at the stadium, which was more than we can say for their opponent. And, yeah, I mean, it it feels like it's been about a week and a half, even though it's been about 48 hours since the beginning of all of this with Napoli and, and potential, you know, not showing up and then definitely not showing up and and everything in between. So there there's a lot of different ways we can go with this, but just reactions to the weekend. And it, it's hard to stick to one big impression knowing that there's so much taking place, but yeah, I mean, what do you think about everything? And then I assume there's going to be a lot of discussion on who the main culprit of this weekend really, really is. It was pretty farcical. It was. And, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it was Italy through and through. And it, it was, I was saying to you privately at points during this weekend, Danny, and I said this also on, uh, in, in a published post as well, it brought back flashbacks of the, you know, that late February period where the league was just like throwing out postponements piecemeal to try to keep things going until the situation in Italy got so bad that they just had to shut everything down. I just kept on feeling really, really angry about this whole thing. And it's really weird because I never thought I'd be on Aurelio De Laurentiis' side about anything, but I really am in this situation. This game should have been postponed days before it was supposed to happen. It should have been postponed right along with Genoa Torino. And, you know, they people can talk about this is the protocol, this is the protocol. Vincenzo Spadafora and and uh, Gabriele Gravina, the two guys who, the, the, the Italian Minister for Sport and the head of F, uh, the Italian Federation, respectively, or was it Lega Serie A? I forget which one it is. Both of them spoke in glowing terms about the protocol and how it's working, except it's not. The protocol that Italy is going by ignores two fundamental facts about this virus. One is that it can take anywhere from 5 to 14 days to actually show up on a test as a positive. And two, before you test positive, if you have it, you can still transmit it, which is exactly what we just saw when Genoa played Napoli last week. Genoa thought they had maybe two cases, and then they play Napoli, and the next day, 14 positive cases pop up, including at least half of the starting 11. That, that Genoa had on the field. It's absurd. And I, it's just absurd. It is absurd. And I, it is absurd. And I don't, I don't blame Napoli for not wanting this game to go off, considering the fact that, you know, I'm, I don't gamble, but if I did, I'm sure I could find a bookie that would put odds on, uh, or an over-under on how many positives Napoli is going to end up having. Because I, I, am, I, feel, I am certain in my bones that it's not going to just be two. This is a, a situation where the league is trying desperately to keep things running as close to normal as possible so that television revenue, which is the only revenue they really have right now, doesn't get interrupted the way it did last year, last season rather. And to the, to the point where they are now, in my opinion, clearly just don't care about 
the safety of players, the safety of the people who are around the players, you know, their families, the, the, their circles outside of soccer. This was farcical. This should not, this should have been postponed days before this went down. It, it, the, the protocol is inadequate. You can say that Juventus followed the protocol all you want. The protocol is stupid. The protocol doesn't work. Genoa, you know, the Genoa has shown you that. And you have to, you know, you have to change. You have to adapt or you, you know, or you perish. And, you know, if, if we keep on going with, with the protocol the way it is, I can see some serious problems happening throughout this season because it's just not up to snuff. You know, especially with the Genoa thing, almost the entire starting line of 14 overall, including every low knee that, that's there from Juve, like it was Luca Pellegrini, Mattia Irony Perrin, in and, the extreme. <laughs> and, and my sweet, and our sweet prince, Marco Piacca, all of them were... Sweet, sweet uh, prince. <laughs> our sweet prince, Marco Piacca, who continues to be the most snake-bitten man in Serie A history. But, you know, obviously, I, you know, I, I'm just going to, like, devil's advocate it here for, for a little bit because I, overall I agree with, with Sam's point that it's, it's you know, it, it, it's tough when, when, you know, the incubation period of a, of a disease is so long. But at the same time, I, I kind of get why they have to, like, defend the protocol and I kind of get why they want, like, they don't want to postpone games because the calendar is as tight as it can be. Like, you don't have, really have the luxury to be like, well, we'll postpone it and make it up later. You're not going to have a winter break. Then you have, like, the Olympics and the Euros, and it's just going to be, like, a crunch to get all the games done in general. And if you postpone anything or if you try to, like, you know, I get it, like, it, they should probably be safer with it. But I also kind of understand why they have to, like, publicly defend the protocol and publicly say – Oh no, we like it was fine. They could have played whatever because they they just don't have the luxury to kind of like accommodate like a postponement. And especially like like Sam said, they they just they have to fill in the the TV spots. Something similar like that happened with the Mexican national team. Like last week, they were scheduled to play a friendly against Costa Rica in Mexico City, and Costa Rica pulled out probably wisely, and they had to like finagle whoever to play and they brought in the well they, they invited the Guatemala national team to play like a completely meaningless friendly on a Wednesday with, because they just have to fulfill that obligation for like a TV spot and like I get why they had to do it overall I think it was just like like Sam said I think it was just like a we can bleep this right so it was, it was a cluster overall just like for the league for the government it was just bad. It was just bad, bad, bad overall. But what I really disliked was that, you know, it was just such like a Bush League move by Juve that I just hated so much that they just went to the, like they knew Napoli wasn't going to show up. Like they already knew that. And then they go to the stadium and do the whole thing. And like they go through the warm ups, And it was just such a, like a Bush League move. Like let's try to get the, the quickie three points here out of like a, you know, like a suspension because we're here, like we're ready to play, like when you knew that Napoli wasn't going to be there. So that just kind of like rubbed me the wrong way. But, you know, overall, I think it's, yeah, it was just an unfortunate situation overall, I'd say. So um, can I tell a story before I, uh, before I... uh... I love Chuck's story time. (laughs) Well, well, it's not a personal story at all, so don't worry. Oh, Um, come on. (laughs) No, there is... 
actually a situation like that happened on Saturday or Sunday, rather. This has happened before, actually. Uh, in 1973, cast your eyes back to 1973, there was a World Cup qualification game between the Soviet Union and Chile, and it was supposed to be played in Chile. However, uh, some weeks or I think months before the game, the Soviet Union had basically you know, discovered the gross human rights abuses that were going on in Chile, obviously during Pinochet's era. And so the Soviets said, hell no, we're not going to play this. This is, you know, this, this stadium is, quote, stained with blood. So they said, no, we're not going to do it. FIFA said, well, you still got to play. So anyway, to quickly just condense the story, what happened was FIFA just forced them to play. And they said, you know, you either show up or, or Chile get the win. So uh, Chile had to step onto the pitch onto, to no opponents with a half-empty stadium. They kicked the ball around for a few minutes, scored a goal in front of nobody, and then that was it. They were awarded the win, and that that was it. And it was, I mean, it was an absolutely far school event, but it was almost exactly uh, like what happened on Sunday. And I, I honestly, I, before it happened, before the kickoff to the, this this Sunday, I was thinking like, oh God, is that going to happen again? That that I was thinking that too. I was honestly got- thinking Juventus was going to come out. With you know they're usually the starting eleven, which hilarious mm-hmm. they announced knowing full well that the game wasn't going to happen. They put out the starting lineup on social media. So I mean that was that was pretty amusing to see people going. Why is Juan Cuadrado on the left again? <laughs> <laughs> but I was fully expecting Juventus to come out, start you know usual stuff before you know Serie A anthem, all that. They line up on the field, and then I mean that's kind of the impression I got from what some of the reporters in Italy were saying. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I'm, mean, it, it, I'm glad it didn't come to that. Yeah, and then you know you just see Buffon, you know, shooting shooting the crap with a few assistant coaches on the sideline. It's like, okay, well, if Buffon, you know, who's obviously seen just about everything except this in his career, if he ain't suiting up, then you know it's not going to happen. So, yeah. yeah, I was I was how, terrible. How bad do you have to? How bad do you have to be that the Soviet that Soviet Russia? <laughs> thought that you were that 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 you were too much god i was actually going to mention that comment but i was going to leave it to off air because i thought it was i thought it was actually i thought they let me not get like political stuff so i was going to leave it to off air they felt they had like the higher moral ground over you like that's that's tough that's a tough word well now that it's been said i could say what i was going to say i was like i was going to say like you know stuff's gone wrong when when the soviets are complaining about human rights abuse. Yeah. Like, oh, you got to exactly. chill down right there, buddy. Hot take chunks. Oh, my God. But, <laughs> but anyway, to go, anyway, back to just, I, I just had to tell that story because I genuinely was afraid that, that Juve were going to take to the pitch and that they were just going to kick the ball around for 45 minutes. I thought, oh, my God, the PR, the PR disaster that this is going to be if that, you know, if it wasn't on one already. So thank God that didn't happen. But anyway, uh, as always, I'm going to be a contrarian, and I swear I don't do this on purpose. <laughs> I swear to God. I yes, you do. do. <laughs> yes, you do. I promise I truly, I do not do this on purpose. So, first of all, though, I don't really want to comment too much on the health, health slash medical aspects of, well, COVID, first of all, and then the protocol, secondly, because, frankly, I'm not a health expert. Uh, I, I mean, I just don't have that expertise, so I feel... Uh, 
to quote uh, the great Kevin Hart, got to stay in my lane, you know, got to stay in my lane, got to stay in your financial lane. <laughs> yeah, hey, I call different people sometimes too. So, um, no, but I think what's more useful to me is to point out some inconsistencies in just logic in, in the argumentation here. So personally, I think that, you know, if Napoli were truly this concerned about, you know, the protocol and about having like two player or well, okay, their two players testing positive, but then obviously Genoa's players testing positive last week, then, I mean, I'm not sure, was this not discussed? Was this not the point of having like the discussions of the protocol before the season started it? To discuss like, hey, um, if if like X number of players have COVID, of the opposition team have COVID before the game, are we okay with this? Like, do you, do we still want to play? And from my understanding, the fact that the protocol is agreed upon, it means that all the clubs agreed on what we would do. So, I mean, I think it's just... I think it's just inconsistent if, if Napoli agreed on the protocol and agreed, okay, this is fine. And then now they're like, they're changing their mind. I mean, I, I just don't, that, that's what I mean with like an inconsistency. And I just, you know, I think if you were truly that concerned and frankly, I think you should not have a agreed to the protocol and then B just said like, we shouldn't be having a season because um, which I think is fine as well. If you don't want to have a season, I mean, I think that's fine. I mean, given, given the seriousness of the of the virus, then I mean, I think it's fine to say in the in the discussions beforehand to say like, look, we just don't want to have this season because we're just not comfortable. But the fact that they agreed to a protocol and agreed to, you know, a certain set of actions for during the season, then implicitly, I think that means that they've accepted the level of risk that there is of playing football in a coronavirus world, which I mean, you, if once again, if you're not com- comfortable accepting that level of risk, that's fine again. But if you agree to accepting this level of risk and, and then say, okay, we're all good, we're on the same page, and then now don't, then I, I mean, I think that's just going to create problems all around going, you know, going forward. Because now what if like, what if Torino says, well, hey, we have two players too, we don't want to play any other games. And then Milan say the same and Liverpool now and, and Manchester City, who've all had players with covid i think this the entire structure just of the season collapses and then at that point you might as well just not have a season which once again is fine but then we just all have to agree on this beforehand you know i just think there's an logically i think there's an inconsistency of from napoli's reasoning that kind of caused this entire ordeal i see where you're coming from with that but at the same time, I, th- I think that this protocol was, I can't say that it was conceived by Serie A because it's a carbon copy of UEFA's protocol, which is another incomplete Italy thing. They just didn't put in the effort to come up with something on their own. They just straight up used UEFA's, which is a little different because UEFA, you know, teams aren't playing a UEFA game every six or seven days, which is another problem I have with that. But I think I don't have anything to base this off of, but this is just the way I'm reading it in, you know, off of, uh, off of what I'm seeing. I think that they were thinking that this protocol was going, was for people who like picked up coronavirus outside of the training ground, outside of a stadium. And, you know, if they tested for it, it was at a point where they wouldn't be able to, where they wouldn't have, 
exposed a lot of their team because, I mean, in training, you can still distance pretty, pretty well as, a, as opposed to a match. I don't think they were anticipating a mass exposure event like we ended up, like the Genoa Napoli game ended up being. And this is a, this this kind of comes back to what I was saying before about how you have to be you have to be nimble here. You have to be able to to roll with with the punches and adapt the protocols because I like I said I don't think that they were quite expecting the prospect of suddenly an entire team being so exposed in one stroke. So I think when you're, when you're talking about Napoli, you know, potentially changing the, the conversation, changing the attitude, I think that's because the entire situation changed. I think that they, they suddenly were looking at a situation that I don't think they were expecting to actually happen. And don't forget that over the summer, the virus was very much suppressed in Italy. Now, I mean, it's not spiking in the ways that other European countries are, but it's slowly coming back. I mean, this weekend is the first time since, I believe, May, when both daily totals were around 2,500 or above. So, you know, it's very much back in Italy, not to the levels that we saw in the spring, but it's, it's there again. And like we saw with Genoa, it can spread like that. And, yeah. you know, one person, asymptomatic or whatever, you know, they can spread it. I mean, you know, you're in close quarters in your locker room. You know, it's not like, <laughs> I mean, we, we've, you know, we, we see, we see what the, the, you know, the dressing room is at, at Allianz Stadium. It's not huge. I mean, they're still close enough to each other where you're not socially distanced. So, yeah. In base in baseball, they essentially like commandeered other locker rooms yeah. this year, in the baseball season, in order to like like they they divided the locker rooms up into like two spaces. And, so the, that, and those so the and those are much bigger space. to begin with, and they're much bigger yeah, to that, begin with. Too. So, you know, overall, I think you just have to. The the, the interesting thing here for me is that it, it completely like you could make any argument and and just kind of take it from there. Like you know, they should be careful. Like they shouldn't have played. Napoli's right. Or they could also go like Chuck said, right? Like you agree to a protocol, you still have like enough players that could feel the team, you have a commitment to play, play. I think that that could just, yeah, I mean, you, you know, we could debate about this all day, but the one thing that really was, you know, quintessential Serie yeah, was just how like unprofessional the whole thing was, but just how like they had to go to the stadium and do the whole thing. You know, whatever it is, the decision that you're going to make, just, you know, you had to, you had to know that this was going to happen. And the moment that it happened, which was early, like we're talking match day three, it happened. You know, everything just completely went off the rails. And Sedia, again, looked like Sedia very much does anytime there's like a, you know, tricky situation. I, I just think that that's not good for, for Juve. That's not good for for the league. That's just not a good look for, for anyone, you know, it's just, Overall, I think. And let us not forget a Juventus employee or two Juventus employees tested positive. So Juve's roster was already in fiduciary isolation to begin with. So they essentially got out of isolation to come to the arena for a couple of hours 
And then I think they went back into isolation, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, it's just... <laughs> It's a mess, <laughs> and it's yeah. so Italy. <laughs> yeah, to that point, I think uh, I remember uh, Agnelli did address that point that he said that, and indeed saying that he they followed protocol in that sense as well. That you know when the two staff members were positive, then they followed the protocol of going into position in the fiduciary position, and then went out to you know kick a ball around for <laughs> ten seconds, and then you know went back in. To Sam's point, I mean, I think it's just. I, I mean, I guess I like sort of accept your argument there, but I, I just, I think it's a bit weird because the protocol was made in what, like August, like July, August, when basically like, and Italy was the heaviest hit European country. So, you know, it was the heaviest hit and, and it was made around July slash August when it was still very fresh on their minds. So, I mean, I would think that then they weren't, negligent like now okay now things have calmed down sort of a little i mean compared to like the the highest the worst point things have calmed down a little bit but basically my point being like at, at when they made the protocol i think that they were probably still in the mindset of like oh my god this is really like this is scarred the nation this is really bad we should be extra careful uh plus um uh, in the protocol i think it states that like what if we have at least 13 players available then they'll play a game. So again, that means that all clubs agreed on, yeah, 13 players, at least 13 players is fair enough. I think if they were more paranoid about it, they would have said like, no, nah, we got to have at least like 16, 17 players, which means like, you know, if, because yeah, 13 players, what each squad is like 25 or something. So that means that, uh, yeah, 12. So that means each club is saying we're okay with up to 12 players in each team being positive. So, I don't know. Once again, I mean, if they agree to that, that means that they're like, oh, well, yeah, 12, that's fine. So, I mean, again, I'm not really taking a standpoint on this necessarily, but I'm just, I'm just trying to kind of find some inconsistencies in like what the clubs have agreed to. And then now that they're now, now clubs like Napoli are taking matters into their own hands because what's going to happen then after this, are, are other clubs going to take matters into their own hands as well? Like, so, you know, just say like, nah, man, we ain't showing up. Like, whereas we don't feel like we're just not comfortable with I mean, it. Which once again, I think that then- Frankly, then, I'd rather they do that. Yeah, but, and then it's then, again, but then what's the point potentially of- potentially spread the virus everywhere. But then what's the point of A, agreeing to and, a protocol and B, of even playing the season at this point? Because then the club should have just been like, like just not play a season. I mean- I, I 100% agree with Chuck there because this was going to happen. Like we all knew this was going to happen, especially because- you just can't have, like we were talking before, the, the pot started about the, the bubble in the NBA, right? Which I guess has been the most consistent overall league with like very, very few cases. I think no cases actually, or maybe one or two. I'm not sure, but that just logistically wasn't going to be possible in Serie A. So you had to know, you had to know that this was going to happen. And the very first time it happens in match day three is just this whole like issue with like clubs making the unilateral decision of we're not showing up and if you give us the the, the loss here um we're just gonna like go to the courts and it's just like immediately it's going to be a whole thing because you know just there, there's no winners in this case i think it's just it's just overall just terrible organization terrible timing terrible everything and there's also the matter I mean, of if the local health authority even would have allowed napoli to travel to begin with which yeah. is another 
aspect of it that just I mean, complicates it even more. Where at one point, the the way the league worded one of their statements, I quite literally thought that they were saying our word is more than the state health authority, which is supreme arrogance. If that's the case, I might have been reading it wrong, or it might have just been a crappy translation. I I but it it looked to me at that point that like said that the league was saying they don't matter as much as we do in this in in this decision. But it comes down again to like a number you were talking with Chuck's about like a, the number of players. I don't see how that is, you know, yeah, you can have X number of players who are negative on game day, but again, they might be negative and still have it. And it's just like, I, I just feel like it's ridiculous. I, I do, but I do want to say one last thing. The, the funniest take on this that I've seen over the last week actually came in the the main Slack channel for SB Nation's entire soccer apparatus when one guy suggested that this whole thing was the league taking revenge on Aurelio De Laurentiis for showing up to their first in-person meeting since the pandemic positive without wearing a mask and getting informed that he was positive at the meeting. It was bad um, seafood. Bad seafood. Which was, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, and, and it's so petty that it totally could be the case. It's just as Italian as this whole thing being a complete mess. So, I mean, yeah, you can't is, rule but, anything out. Uh, and also, yeah, like, no, you really can't. But, like, I, if, you know, imagine if that actually were the case, I would, like, I would, that would be a good night. That would be a nice long belly laugh for me. <laughs> And also, I think we like the, the decision. The final decision is going to be tomorrow. So, at the moment of this recording, not necessarily, isn't it? The, the final call. It, on what that happened? was initially that was initially what uh, the report was. But today, more reports came out saying that the federation's prosecutor or uh, whatever is asking for more documentation and and looking into more things. And it could be longer than tomorrow. They're just gonna um, delay it, and you know Napoli's to gonna appeal it regardless. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if yeah, if it's a yeah, if it's a forfeit, Napoli's gonna appeal regardless, and this could end up going to all the way to the court of arbitration for sport. So like, this Please. isn't gonna end anytime soon. If un- unless the unless the initial ruling is oh, postponement, not forfeit, you have to reschedule it. Which honestly, I I I just hope that happens. Number one, because again, I just didn't like the whole bush league aspect of it. Of like, let's go to. Yeah the stadium and do this whole charade that was just dumb and also because imagine if they gave Juventus the win and it's just this whole legal thing and then they give them the three points and then there's like a imagine if they just won the league by three points and then it would be I, just was, gonna, whole I, I thing. was gonna say just, just if I mean, we just do win, play the game I just don't if, just replay the game whatever it doesn't yeah matter. I was gonna say if we if if they do give us a forfeit I hope to god that if we win this the title this year like it's four. by four points yeah it'd, it'd, be, it'd be just <laughs> the dumbest like the take would be incredible so I just I just hope they, they reschedule it and just you know whatever I mean I truly truly hope that happens and the, tr- the shame is that this was going to be such an interesting game in paper like Napoli has like a great like they had the type of of start of the season that were like okay they can actually challenge for a title and they had the style of play which was like okay it's going to be interesting to see how they actually attack this Juba team and if we can withstand that kind of like you know counter-attacking super quick offensive style so it was going to be a really fun game and I was really looking forward to it and now we have nothing bummer that's right, Sergio. If 
if this happens, you can bring back Juventus Conspiracy Corner. So, you know. <laughs> I'm all for it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. We are recording here on the final day of the summer transfer rumor, which transfer window, I should say, which obviously in a coronavirus world, has stretched into the early days of October. So it's not so summer in some places, but obviously the big news is that Juventus actually did stuff on the final day of the transfer window that involved Federico Chiesa signing on a two-year loan deal with the obligation to buy. Basically the deal will end up being about 50 or so million euros uh, with some, I think, I think it's around 10 million of potential bonuses uh, heading out, Douglas Costa on loan to Bayern Munich. Sergio's number one boy, Mattia De Ciglio, heading to Lyon on loan. And Sergio's other number one boy, Daniele Rugani, heading to Rennes on loan for the season. So obviously the big one is Chiesa. I think we can all agree that we kind of sort of expected the guys who did leave to leave. And... Yeah, just what do you guys think of Chiesa? And I guess the obvious question is what everybody's thinking is where the heck does he fit in? You know, just I'd like to, you know, just mention that uh, the Juve social team had the, like the goodbye, like thanks for for being part of the team video for for Mattia De Siglio. And you have to wait for like 30 seconds until you see Mattia De Siglio do something good. I highly (laughs) encourage you. To like go watch that video because this is a highlight video. This is like they always do these videos to like, you know, put like the best plays there. And the first play <laughs> in his video is a missed shot. That is the first play. They didn't even <laughs> cut it beforehand. It's just like a shot that's nowhere near the goal. And that's the way the video starts. <laughs> yeah. And then they put like a goal or two that probably the only two goals he had as a Juba player. I don't think he scored that much. And then they have like uh, Koulibaly, the, the center back for Napoli, just wrecking him on a slight tackle, a clean slight <laughs> tackle, by the way. And that's kind of how the video ends. Like, it's just, it's <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> I highly encourage you to go watch it because it is it was pretty good. the best. It's awesome that even they couldn't do like, okay, let's make him look good because, yeah, I mean, it was, it was just great. It was super funny. I, I enjoyed it a whole lot. Yeah, that's uh, good old Ashili. I mean, he was a, he was a good chap. I mean, yeah. Oh, and actually, I forgot. A good chap. <laughs> good chap. Good old chap. Good chap. Yeah. Sorry, that's what I was when you read to me in James Bond books. Go on, then, chap. Go on, have him, then. 
I actually forgot to, or or well, Danny, uh, to add to the list of kind of transfer dealings. Raul Jimenez, he renewed his contract with Wolverhampton Wanderers. So close, but no cigar. Well, yeah. he's the star. I, I, I wouldn't have sold him either. Yeah, yeah <laughs> true, true. But there was a glimmer of hope there. I mean, you know, of, uh, of acquiring him. But uh, yeah, close, but no cigar on that one. Honestly, overall, it's... I think it's been a pretty good transfer window, actually. I'm, I'm amazed to say something positive. Um, but no, I think it really has been a, a good transfer window. I mean, the main concern midfield has been strengthened. I mean, I think very well. I mean, of course, it's still not perfect, but I think it has been strengthened very well. The front line, I mean, yeah, it's going to depend on, I guess, a lot on Morata because he is the only out-and-out center forward that we have on the on on the roster. I mean, Dybala, yeah, but, you know, I think I think we know that he doesn't entirely prefer to play as the lone central striker. So, you know, that means that there's there's quite a lot of weight on Morata's shoulders there. So um, I think that's going to be a pretty pivotal issue regarding how well we'll be doing up front. But clearly, I mean, we're stacked on the wings. <laughs> that's uh, probably a little too much, actually, I think. Probably, yeah, probably one player too many. Because, uh, I mean, Bernadeschi, Chiesa, well, Douglas Costa just departed, of course. Dybala sort of can play wide. And, of course, Kulusevsky. Um, and am I missing? Well, Cuadrado, technically, I guess, as well. So I think that was well. I mean, I am satisfied with Chiesa transferred, although I'll somewhat say that maybe I would have liked to spend that, well, what could be 50 million euros. <laughs> on maybe like a top, top-notch fullback. I mean, that, I think, at the end of the day, that was the greater need. I think we can objectively say that. Uh, even though, I'm, I mean, I'm happy with Kiesa. I think he'll be a good player. I mean, I think a year ago or so, people were like, oh, my God, he's like the next Maradona. And then lately, people have been, some, some love him, some hate him. It's been very, like, very polar about him, <laughs> I've noticed. But, I mean, I'm satisfied with him, but I, I I do have to reluctantly say that I think the money might have been spent better on like a top-notch fullback, like a, a Sergio Reguillon from uh, or Reguillon, I should say, uh, from Sevilla. I mean, he was he had a really, really outstanding year last year, and I mean, he went to Spurs eventually. That would have been maybe a good transfer, but anyway, all things considered, I think good transfer window, and I would say I don't know, seven point five out of ten. So, uh, good job, chap, Mister Optimism. <laughs> It, it falls to me to, I guess, answer the initial question, Danny. Where does Federico Chiesa fit in? Yeah, we don't know. These other, because two, as these of other right, two slackers didn't answer it. Because as yeah. of right now, Andrea Pirlo is not playing a, set, a, a tactical setup that has wingers. So where does Chiesa fit? I have no idea. You know, he played a little bit as a, as a, as, as, part of a strike pair with Frank Ribéry last year. And, and he has played as a wing back for Fiorentina once or twice in a three man back. But unless Pirlo is going to come out with something new, I, th- th- that's the thing that mystifies me about this. I don't know where he plays. And, and also Matteo Bonetti on ESPN, I think also makes a good point in that right now, is Federico Chiesa? I mean, obviously, how the the how P- 
Pirlo sets the team up will determine this in some way. But is Federico Chiesa in Juventus's best 11 right now? It's debatable. Are you taking him or are you taking Kulusevsky? I mean, that, exactly. that kind of seems like the, the one big, big thing. And Chucks, I think, hit the nail on the head in that it is Fabio Paratici like on a quest to prove that football can be played without fullbacks? Because he, and, but, and, and what, what galls me about this whole thing is that the, the amount of money that we will eventually be spending on Chiesa is more than what is going to end up being one of the signature moves of the transfer window in Serie A this year that uh, Hakimi signed with Inter for 40. And Serginho Dest signed with Barcelona for even less than that. Well, granted, sorry to interrupt. I mean, on the desk, I mean, he did reject Bayern. So, I mean, I don't know if he'd rejected Bayern. I don't (laughs) think it would have come to us. I mean, mean, Bayern are actually fairly stacked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bayern are actually fairly stacked at uh, that fullback. I can understand why he wouldn't want to go there immediately. But like, you know, and then he went to, and then he went to Barcelona, came in and got an assist in like his first 10 minutes of the game. You know, the midfield has been addressed. And I think that's, you know, it, it is no longer the greatest weakness of this team. The greatest weakness of this team is now the fullback wingback setup because it's not cutting it right now. I mean, Quadrado as a wingback, okay, fine. As a, as a out-and-out fullback, eh. Sandro is steady enough on the left when he's healthy, which, to be fair to him, is a lot of the time. This is a bit of an anomaly to see him out of the lineup this long. But, yeah, my my biggest problem with this transfer window, because we made some good moves. You know, Morata coming back, I think he'll be a very good piece up front. As Hunter has said, we have, you know, him, Dybala, Ronaldo, Kulusevsky, Chiesa, you can throw Ramsey in there because he's playing in that front three now. That's that's an attacking setup that doesn't have a lot of rival in Europe. The midfield now it looks really good. But the wingback options at this point are Quadrado, Frabotta, Sandro, Danilo. That's it. That's all of them. And I mean, unless... I mean, hybridizing Bernardeschi onto either wing is possible. We'll see if poor, poor Berna, another position change. <laughs> you're missing Bernardeschi uh, already. Like, I can tell you're like, and, you shouldn't have let them go, man. I, I mean, honestly, I'd like to have another body out there, if for no other reason than to have some depth. But I, I, I fear that, that not having a, a decent wingback and no Joao Cancelo doesn't count as a decent fullback wingback because he can't defend worth crap. So don't start pulling his name out in the comments again. That could hurt us in the course of the season. And, and, and it seems like Paratici is, willingly, is willfully ignoring that position at this point. And he's seeing our chief, you know, the chief rivals to the title pick up a massive upgrade for a for what essentially is a song for a player like Hakimi. We've already seen the difference that he's making at Inter. Yeah, I I don't know where he's going with that with that position group and I I think that it could hurt us. 
Yeah, I, I think my main issue is kind of similar to what you're saying that we like on paper, I think it was a great transfer window. I mean, you know, you can, we can argue all, all we want about, you know, a guy like Federico Chiesa, for example, but you know, the dude, he's 22, he's super talented. He's already like a mainstay in the national team. And I know that means a lot to, to you know, people who follow Juventus to have like Italian dudes in the team. He's very young. Overall, I think the financials of it, yeah, we're going to pay a lot, but it's like, you know, and, and loans first. And I mean, I, I don't hate it necessarily, but it's just, again, it's, it's trying to, we're assuming that he's going to be able to be good as a wing back. We don't know that. He has the, the physical skills of that. Like he, he has a great, you know, motor. He runs a lot, like he fights a lot. Like that's good to have on a wing back, but we don't know if he's going to pan out there. You have a guy like Dejan Kulusevski, the best young player in Serie A, who excelled as a winger last season. And now we're trying him to either make him a win back again or, you know, slot him in as like a like this number 10 midfielder kind of guy. Again, like, you know, he could do it. Um, he's a talented kid. Maybe he can do it. But again, you're trying to fit dudes who are not necessarily that position or who don't necessarily play that position just – because you can, I, just I, because they're talented, and I'm not Kulusevsky sure. actually came up. Kulusevsky actually came up in Atalanta's youth system as a trequartista. Parma moved him out onto the wing. Can, I, so like he can't do that. that that's but, that's less egregious. That's less egregious, but at the same time, it's like the guy you bought was winger. Like that's his best season as a pro as a winger. Granted, he did come up as a trequartista. He could do it. But that's what I'm feeling. Like all of this moves feel a lot like they could pan out and maybe they pan out and if they do then watch out like we have a great team but if they don't we're gonna be throwing exactly like put like poor Federico Bernardeschi out there to the wing and be like figure it out my guy or like Alexandro who could probably will do a fine job as a as a left left wing back but again that's not his natural position so it's going to take a hell of a coaching job, not only for Andrea Pirlo, but for like the, the staff overall to kind of like not only implement this new system, but put guys in positions that they might not be super familiarized with and making it work. And that's going to be tough. That's, that to me feels like kind of, you know, making, you know, first time coach time like life harder a little bit harder because now it's not only about implementing your system it's about implementing your system with guys who just don't know how to play those positions because that's not their natural position so it's tricky that's like the the you know the the measure take the non-measure take is like oh look at all these names man like this is a fifa team like i mean it's exciting we have a lot of talent out there and i think that's gonna be awesome but it's very much a, a we'll see if it works out. And also just about the, the wingbacks, I think, you know, once the lift comes back, I think you can maybe throw Danilo as a full-time wingback, not in his, right, like, plays where he's playing right now, like a third center back type of thing. But again, like, you're throwing in another dude who that's not his natural position and hoping and assuming that he's going to pan out. And we just don't know that. And that's going to be, yeah, that's a, a bit of a risk, especially, like, you know, giving a pretty significant amount of money to a guy that you hope is going to learn how to play right wing back. Shall we go to Twitter questions, gentlemen? Hell yeah. Let's. So speaking of Federico Chiesa, 
from our blog brethren at Viola underscore nation on a scale of one to Felipe Melo. How do you feel about Chiesa? Over 9,000. <laughs> Over 9,000. Based on, based on that question, I'm going to assume that Felipe Melo is the low end of the scale in terms of like, <laughs> uh, in, it, in terms of hatred. It, and the, so the lower so the number, know. the better. So the, yeah, right. So the lower the number, the better I'm going to, and, and so based on my complete interpretation of Tito's brain, which is based really off of only spending one podcast episode with him, I'm going to, I'm going to say like three and a half, which in <laughs> my case means like moderately excited. I'll, I'll put it on over 9,000 uh, to completely mess up the scale, um, which means absolutely nothing. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, I'm, as an individual, Chiesa, I'm satisfied. I'm, I mean, I'm happy about the deal, but in terms of the collective and the team balance, I'm not entirely happy about it. I think uh, uh, Sam's point about Hakimi was, I mean, absolutely spot on. We could have spent the money on, of Chiesa on Hakimi. I mean, that would have been, yeah, that would have been a far more logical deal. So, uh, but still, funny answer, over 9,000. Next one from Fabrizio Moratia. I know Pirlo knew the game on Sunday wasn't happening, but apparently he intended to send Quadrado to the left left side again. Wouldn't <laughs> Wouldn't it be concerning that he is not learning from his past mistakes, especially against Gattuso's counterattack. I think calling it a mistake is a bit aggressive. I mean, I, look, he didn't, like, he played that one game. He didn't <laughs> look great. I'm going to give you that. Like, it wasn't a success. But, you know, I think, especially right now with, with Alexander out and with really just the youngster Fabrota there now with our dear or dearly departed Matias de Silio out, you really don't have, and especially with Alexandra out, you really have one guy there. So, I mean, I understand him, you know, kind of continue to try to fit Cuadrado there. I don't know if it's, again, I didn't like him in the left on the one game he had there. So I kind of get like not being super excited about it, but, you know, give it to Cuadrado. Like he came in as a full on winger and then we turn him into a midfielder. And then he plays this fullback. And, like, he's been put, like, all over the field for Juventus. And overall, I think he's a pretty adaptable dude. So it wouldn't surprise me if they keep trying him, at the very least, until Alexandro comes back because you don't have a lot of depth there. And, you know, he has proven to be a pretty flexible dude in terms of, like, where you put him on the pitch. So, you know... I'd say give him a little bit more time than just the one game, you know, the one game sample size. If he continues to play badly there, of course, maybe it's not meant to be. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I think you have to, you have to give it a little bit more than just like a one-time type of deal. I think this is really more of, of an emergency measure in terms of not, not maybe trusting Gianluca Frabotta quite so much in a game of this magnitude yet whether or not that you know whether or not that's a wise attitude can be you know Leonardo Spinazzola you know had one I think maybe I think it was his first Juventus start ever was the second leg against Atletico Madrid two years ago when he you know and he played really great so you know guys can surprise you and I wouldn't mind 
Frabotta being put into a position to surprise us. But yeah, I think that this, I, I think right now he's, he's going, he's doing the Italian thing and going for experience over youth, even if that might not fit, quite fit there at the moment. Especially because I, I think Favrota has looked good in, in the starter in the, in, the, in the first game, granted against Sampdoria, but he looked good. And when he came in against Roma, I think he looked pretty decent again. Like, you know, and the team think, overall improved. Yeah, exactly. Because it, it does say, like, and it does mean something to just put a guy in the position that he has played his whole life. I think it was last year that, that we had the the Blaise Matuidi experience as a, as a left back, which, you know, good player, but there's like, that's just not his position. And then the next game, we had Danilo back there, and it was completely just better just because he can play that position. Like, he knows how to play that position. And there is something to be said, especially in such a squad that is kind of like experimenting a lot to just putting a guy that knows what his job is supposed to be. So... So yeah, I, I I also agree with Sam in the sense that I I like to see Fabrota be given like a more like a, like longer run against like better teams, especially because with the you know you loaned out Pellegrini, you loaned out the CEO, that means that you have to have some sort of like some amount of confidence in what Fabrota can bring. So yeah, just I mean might as well throw him throw him to the wolves. I don't have too much to add actually, but I guess my main question is. It seems that Pirlo thinks that a that an inexperienced player playing on the correct side, so Fabota, is worse than a very experienced player playing on the wrong side, so Cuadrado, which, yeah, I don't know. Is that the right assessment? That's just me. Italy for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that, yeah. Common theme of this podcast episode, well, it's Italy, so... It's like the it's like it's like poor Bren. Well, that's Roma for you. Yeah, it's like the same. Roma. And as he told me on Twitter today, they're only allowed to say that on Chiesa di Totti. Which one last Chiesa thing from friend of the pod, David Desberg at the True R O A C. I know hopes are varied for Chiesa, but like any analyst on a draft night, what do you think his floor slash ceiling slash probable outcome is? Was this the right move? And could Federico Bernardeschi, hey, guess what? Another Federico acquired from Fiorentina. Could that work out too with him at right back or right wing back, I should say? I, I love that because I, it, it's great, like the whole floor ceiling thing. I, I just love it because you can say whatever and it's not technically wrong or technically right. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's awesome. Like, you know, he's ceiling, you know, he could win the Ballon d'Or. Like, we don't know that, like, you know, he could potentially I mean, he, he's a, he, the dude has a lot of talent. His decision-making can be a bit, you know, not the best. But again, he's like a really, like if you want to be positive about it, he's a really young guy on a team that, you know, is not necessarily stacked in which he was the captain, in which he had to do a lot of heavy lifting. You know, obviously it was his decision-making the best. No, but he also had to do a lot of responsibility. So, and he, again, he's like 22. Like, that's insane. So, you know, just you, I think you do the deal, especially if you're Juventus, and you can get him just out of the sense that he's really talented and he's not going to have to be like the guy early on at the very least. So I think that's going to be good for his overall development. I think that could improve a lot of, you know, his decision-making problems in the sense that he doesn't have to do it all by himself. 
And I think that's just going to be really good for him. If you're looking at it as a, as a floor type of thing, you're fitting him as a wingback, which we don't know if he's going to be able to do, which we don't know if it's the best use of his skills. So, yeah, I mean, overall, you know, I hope it pans out. I think it will pan out, but we, we don't know, especially we haven't seen him play with, with the team. And I think he's in the, like, he's, you know, he's in the national team right now. So we're not going to see him play for Juve in like a little bit in a while. So, but, but it's exciting. It's an exciting signing. I'll, I'll say that. It's interesting what you said, Sergio, about expectations. Cause I think that is, you know, the parallel between him coming in now and when Bernardeschi came in. Remember, when Bernardeschi was signed, the number 10 shirt was vacant. They hadn't assigned the 10 since Pogba had left, and he was signed before Dybala was given the 10. So when he came in, everyone was expecting Bernardeschi to get it. And I think that really heightened the expectations for Bernadeschi and that hurt him the same way that Sebastian Jovinko, when he came up out of the Academy was considered the next Del Piero and like, and was really saddled with that moniker and pity the man who gets saddled with that. So I, I do think that him not having to be the guy on the team will help. You know, like you said, his ceiling is very high. He has to, make better decisions he has to stop flopping and his finishing has to get better because he is not the greatest finisher in the world right now you know i think floor is bernardeski level production over the last three years and you know the ceiling a ceiling is a could be baggio-esque in in that kind of a vein if he really or or, or, you know, to, to, to dial back that expectation a little bit, you know, his father, who was a really damn good goal scorer for a lot of years in Italy. You know, if he, if he hits that, I'm fine. Shocks. No, kidding. Watch this, it's governor. No, it's all good. No, I have nothing to add. Uh, you all hit the nail on the, on the head. So uh, at the end of the day, here, 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 it's a case. And well, Boca Lupo. That'll do it for... The Twitter questions, thank you as always for sending them our way. You can always drop us a line at Juventus Nation on Twitter. Uh, as always, you can listen, rate, subscribe, all of the above on Apple iTunes and Apple Podcasts. You can also subscribe and listen to us on uh, Spotify and Google Podcasts. As I mentioned before, you can find us on social media, whether it's Twitter or Facebook. Uh, I want to thank you all for listening once again and thank uh, everybody here in what was obviously a very hectic week or hectic weekend, I should say, of proceedings. So shout out to the Juventus women who beat AC Milan 1-0 in the first ever. Yeah, Jay ladies. First ever women's game played at the San Siro. Christiana Girelli, as she does pretty much every game for the last two years, scored the lone goal. And in her first start in what feels like a year and a half, Cecilia Salvai filled in for Captain Saragama and essentially became Giorgio Chiellini. So that was pretty damn awesome to see. So Juventus women are top of the table, heading into a huge match again this weekend against Fiorentina. God, we've talking way too much for Fiorentina the past couple couple minutes. So on that note, for Sam and for Sergio and for Chucks, This is Danny saying thank you for listening. Stay safe out there. 
wear a damn mask and we'll talk to you guys next week and like this week not about the game but that's because it's international break so see y'all later